0: This is I Hear Things for Thursday, December 23rd, 2021, the last I Hear Things of the year. Racing and pacing and plotting the course. When track sprinters compete, the runners on the inside tracks start further back than the runners on the outside tracks because math. In a competitive race, at one point on the oval called the brake line, the inside runners catch up to the outside runners and generally It all looks even. And at the break line, all of the runners can hug the inside track. They basically all run the same race at that point. You know, I think we're at the break line for podcasting in many English speaking countries at least. This past week I co-hosted Edison Research's annual Top Ten Findings webinar with my colleague Laura Ivey. And for my selection, I chose a graph from our recent Infinite Dial UK presentation, and thanks to Bauer Media Group and Spotify for sponsoring this. And the graph that I showed simply showed monthly podcast listening in four countries all compared with each other. We had Canada, the 18-plus monthly numbers at 38%, Australia, 16-plus at 36%, USA, 16-plus at 41%, and now the UK, 16-plus also at 41%. They're all relatively even. So while this is the first year for the UK edition of Infinite Dial, we've been providing this for Canada and Australia for several years now. And the best way to categorize this data, I think, is that these English-speaking first world countries have just about caught up with the US after starting a ways back on the track just a few years ago. The staggered start for the other countries was really down to the mix of available content, more expensive mobile broadband plans, especially in Canada. Yikes, they used to be awful. The strength of broadcast radio in those countries, quite strong. And of course, investment levels, which are higher in the U.S. These market forces each applied a bit of a break on the growth of podcasting in these countries. But those breaks are really, they're coming off. In these four countries, at least, we're all starting to run the same race. Now breaks remain, of course. There is a limit to podcasting. The outermost limit, I think, is our desire to listen to spoken word audio programming period, which although it is widespread, is not universal. This year's edition of the Spoken Word Audio Report from NPR and Edison Research pinned monthly consumption of any type of spoken word audio at about 75% of Americans 18 plus. Now that 75% encapsulates podcasting, audiobooks, and all forms of talk radio. And it's grown over the past eight years, both in terms of audience and in the proportion of audio time that that audience spends with spoken word audio. Back in 2014, Americans spent 20% of their time with spoken word and 80% with music. And that spoken word ratio has gone up year over year since then. Today, it's 28% spoken word and 72% music. Now, this growth has generally been driven by podcasting. And it's not just because the medium has given us something fresh and new. Really, it's merely given us something that we already wanted. We already knew we wanted. The ability to listen to compelling audio content for free, whenever and wherever we want. Commercial broadcast radio share of ear has steadily declined over that same eight years, partially because it doesn't really deliver on the last part of that statement, the whenever and wherever we want, right? It's a live linear experience. And the overall audience for audiobooks over the last several years, it's strong. There's maybe a slight tick up on the trend line. It's about 46% of the U.S. population say that they currently ever listen to audiobooks. But it's not growing at the same rate as podcasting. And even though audiobooks do deliver the on-demand part of the equation, They don't deliver on the free part of the equation. And yes, I know library app consumption of audiobooks does continue to grow. I do it myself. But try getting Cloud Cuckoo Land or the new John Grisham on your library app right now. Good luck with that. Now, you might be tempted to view the audiobook audience over the past seven or eight years as flat. It certainly looks that way uh, in our infinite dial data. The graph kind of looks flat. Again, it maybe ticks up just a little bit with a trend line. But you have to consider that so much of the audiobook market is driven by the purchase of individual titles, and that's something Americans have largely stopped doing with things like songs and movies. When you look at it in that lens, I think audiobooks have held up pretty well. Now, there are, of course, going to be pressures on that model in the next few years. Spotify's acquisition of Findaway, uh, the Swedish streamer Storytel recently purchased audiobooks.com, and there's going to be, I think, more of a shift towards uh, a streaming model for audiobooks as well. When audiobooks operate under the same market forces as music and movies, well, that's another break on their growth removed. Now The economics are going to change. But that trend line, I think, for audiobooks will as well. So in the spoken word universe, this leaves us with podcasting, which competes with the advantage of being both on-demand and largely free, by which I mean ad-supported. The podcasting audience has already grown past that of the audiobook audience. And the ratio of time that we spend listening to podcasts compared to broadcast radio has grown from 1 to 25, in other words, one hour of podcast listening for every 25 hours of radio back in 2014, to nearly 1 to 6 today. Now, how much more can it grow? I don't know. I'm in the business of reliably discerning the present and not forecasting the future, but I think podcasting has rounded the first bend in the track in at least the core Anglosphere. It's hit the break line. Statistically, in terms of the available spoken word audience that lies ahead, it's demonstrably true that there is less track ahead than what we've already run past. There are still a couple of significant breaks on the growth of podcasting. Friction-free consumption in cars, music licensing, but most of the other breaks have been removed. And the fact that Canada and Australia have quote-unquote caught up with the United States also means by definition that growth in the United States allowed for that to occur. It would not surprise me in the least to see podcasting's growth curve start to slow. And as that happens, it starts to become more important for podcasters to find where their audience already is, rather than attempting to change two behaviors at once, i.e. try a podcast accompanied by try my podcast. This is why I've been telling you all year about YouTube and Facebook. I was honored to once again be asked to contribute to Pacific Content's annual predictions articles, and I'll link to those in the show notes. Uh, and that is the only series in which I break my general rule against issuing predictions. Now, one of mine was framed as a point-counterpoint. And I think in the context of this discussion, it's worth dwelling on for just a moment. And here's how it was presented in the Pacific Content article. Point. Podcasters will continue to experiment with digital video for a while and then realize there's no need. They're already getting a video CPM and super fan engagement, with audio production costs and efficiencies. And consumers prefer using their ears, not their eyes for podcasting. Podcasting is working well in every way, pricing, fan engagement costs. It does not need fixing. And that's from Connell Byrne, the CEO of iHeartMedia's Digital Audio Group. And then right below it, it was presented as a counterpoint. Here's what I had to say. Podcasters are going to have to develop visual strategies in order to make their content visible and appealing on services like YouTube and Facebook. The benefits of discovery outweigh the potential cost and effort. Now, I'm not exactly saying something different from Connell, but it's worth noting this. One, not everyone, including Big Podcasting, capital B, capital P, has figured out the monetization part of podcasts on YouTube. And that leads to a lot of the friction there, I think. But it's going to happen it has to. And number two, if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know that when I talk about YouTube here, and let's face it, when we talk about video in the context of podcasting, YouTube is what we're talking about. I'm talking about using YouTube's advantages in discovery and recommendation to your advantage. Now, what you likely don't have to your advantage Our iHeart's 855 broadcast radio stations promoting your podcast content day and night. So I would suggest that you take any advantage you can get. You do you, champ. We all need to run our own race when it comes to podcasting. Uh, Next item for this week Have you ever written a mission statement for your podcast? And I don't mean a pitch, which is really intended for the outside world, but something that's written. Just for you, something to light a North Star for your work. I'm not a fan of most corporate mission statements. They're generally pretty weak sauce, I think. And for so many companies, they make promises that the brand doesn't actually keep. And also, the typical mission statement of crafting value for stakeholders and valued customers and keeping with their values of value doesn't exactly move the blood of humans, to paraphrase Daniel Burnham. As Merlin Mann once said on Twitter, Provide value added solutions is not a mission. Destroy all monsters, that is an effing mission statement. Well, there is an underlying mission statement for this podcast and the newsletter that inspires it. I talked about it with my wife Tamson on our pitchable podcast webinar a couple of weeks ago, and that's something that we will definitely do again, by the way, thanks to so many of you who turned out for that. Really delighted by the turnout for that. But It's the scaffolding for a path that I've been pursuing in one way or another since I first started putting out podcast-related content back in 2006. I was just a boy then. So Tamsin's methodology, which she lays out in her book, Find Your Red Thread, again, I'll link to that in the show notes, details a formal structure for the transmission of an idea that's designed to make it as irresistible to your target audience as possible. I was absolutely intentional in crafting a red thread for I hear things, and while it's never overtly stated, it's for my benefit. It informs everything I do with this particular outpost of my scattered brain. I thought I'd share it with you. I'm going to double down on this for 2022, and I just thought I'd share that structure with you. It's not a pitch. It's the scaffolding for this podcast, and here it is. In my experience with podcasters, they often want to know how to master their craft and become better so they can grow their audience and grow their revenue. When looking for that answer, they often focus on how to market their show rather than how to make their show more marketable. Yet we can all agree that the audience controls your destiny. And that's why I Hear Things addresses the needs of my audience by giving them insights to understand their audience and their industry. This not only achieves their goal, it also gives them, and that's you, the tools to create endless amounts of relevant content. In each episode of the podcast, I will deliver on this promise with wit, wisdom, and exclusive industry data from the leading audience researcher in audio and my 25 years of experience working with the most successful audio companies in the world. That's the tweet, or that's at least four threaded tweets, I guess, if you wrote it out. Now, I happen to be a huge fan of Tamson's red thread method, not just because I married her. And I've employed it here, as I often do, for critical communications. But whether you build your own red thread or use some other ideology to write your own similar cri de core, it's a wonderful exercise. It focuses me, it helps me edit this thing. And above all else, put this in bold, no one else could write this. Now that last bit, I think, is a pretty good goal for your podcast write the description that no one else could write write it forcefully write it vigorously and then make that show finally here we are the home stretch for 2021 the last show of the year uh, as we enter into the holiday season for many of us maybe this will be of use to you as we enter this season which even in a good year can be difficult for many and 2021 was not exactly a banner year for the humans, I think we can agree. Everything is constantly changing, from podcasting to politics, and it can be very tempting to slide into cynicism or passivity. And neither of those advance the plot. I'm not a relentlessly positive person. I admire those that are, I really do. It doesn't come easy. So what doesn't come easily to me then has become a practice, and one that I try to be intentional about whenever I can. With the pandemic in particular, seemingly every day brings some new report, some new study, a different set of guidelines, new stuff. Thanks, Walnut.